This podcast is brought to you by the Specialty Produce Network. Hey, welcome to another episode of the Sober Life Audio, Audio Experience. Experience. What's good, Brian? Hey, it's my birthday, baby. It is your, it is your birthday. What are you, like, 20... 21? I'm 99. 99 years Looking old. Looking good for 99. Here he is in the flesh. Tell me when to go. Ladies and gentlemen. Should we <laughs> sing? Should we sing for him? No, we shouldn't. Okay, yeah, you guys let's, probably let, don't want to hear that. Let's stay focused today, Rome. <laughs> Come on, my man. Word. Well, uh, you know, we have another special guest today. Yeah, we do. We Who have is it? a Who do we have? Uh, professional coach, pro BMX rider. Former. A former author, speaker. Speaker, yeah. Yeah. All kinds of rad stuff. We have Tony Hoffman in the house. Word. Thanks, guys. Thanks yeah. for having me. Hey, glad Welcome. to have you on the show. Yeah. Do you do you always drink Yoohoo, or is that just <laughs> whenever a one-off deal? Listen, whenever I could find it, right? Yeah. So this is hard to find. No, it's... And whenever I do, I make a point to buy it. Even it's like if Charleston I'm not... Chew. Exactly. <laughs> it is. It, it should never be uh, off the shelves, but no. they're hard to find. It's so hard to find. Ladies and gentlemen, this podcast is sponsored. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> well, we've got a couple of yoo-hoos in the house. So. <laughs> yes. And uh, we're going to get into it, Tony. Yeah, yeah so so before we start with any guests, we always ask three questions. All right. You ready? Uh, yeah, let's do it. All right, question number one. Yeah. What is your vision? What is my vision? Yeah. Uh, to use my life story to impact, inspire, and change the lives of people um, that are either in recovery uh, have falsehoods about addiction and inspire people to make the best of their lives and their choices that they have that aren't in ad- aren't re- addicts aren't you know struggling yeah. they're just kids that are, get to hear my story and try mm-hmm. and inspire them to yeah. use their choices wisely to make the best out of it. Awesome, Damn. and I'm excited. We're yeah. going to get into uh, Tony and his national speaking and, and going around to his college story. campuses, high school campuses. I mean, really, whenever, wherever. Yeah, absolutely. Colleges, uh, Division One sports programs, high schools, middle schools, governments, and community, yeah. community programs. Yeah, That's awesome, man. buddy. Yeah, we'll SL. get there. Yeah, it, you know, you're you're very well versed. You can tell. Yeah. You know, a lot of times when we have guests and we ask them, you know, what is your vision? And they're like, oh, yeah, you know. You obviously are very familiar. I, I know exactly why I'm yeah. doing what I'm doing, um, and I'll speak vividly of why it all came the way it is. Dope, man. Yeah. We appreciate that here. Absolutely. Yes. Leads to question number two. Okay. What do you love? What do I love? Helping people. Mm. Damn. And everything about my life is for other people. I, I just, that's the way I work. As long as I'm helping people, and I think that that's re- uh, helping people recognize the potential of their gifts. Yeah. Yeah. That's Seeing it. their wow. worthiness, their yeah. value, that yeah. they matter, they're important, yeah, acknowledging them, overcoming the fear, yeah. the pain, the frustration, the anxiety, all of it. Yeah. I'm just a really compassionate, empathetic person. So, yeah. you know, when I see people, I see their struggles, um, whether I've been through them or, right. you know, it's just straight sympathy of what they may be going through um, and just wanting to see them through it. Yeah, and I think Got it's it. really important, you know, what you just said, too. It's not just helping people, but helping them realize their potential. Yeah. Right? And that's, 
you know, what, whatever their dreams and their goals are to realize, visualize that and then go for it. Yeah. It's tough, but yeah. Um, yeah, it is. I, it's, you know, I, like I say, I enjoy what I do. So it's rewarding. Yeah. Well, let's get into oh. question number three, yeah. which is, uh, what is a book that has impacted, influenced or shaped your life? One book. One book. Yeah. Oh, man. I know. Bible. Bible. Okay. I haven't read that many books. I'm on like book eight in my entire life. <laughs> I cheated my way through school. Yeah, um, I've read right. more books in the last three years than I've read in my entire life. Okay. Um, the Bible has the the most impact on my life, not in a religious way, but in a very spiritual, mm. um, meaningful way. Got it. Yeah. Yeah. Got it. Good book. Yeah, it is. If there was another book, I know you said one book, but Extreme Ownership okay. Okay. by Jocko Willink, the Navy SEAL. Oh, yeah. Absolute great book okay great book like every right. person needs to read that book so they understand how to just take ownership for their their selves and right. their part uh, just great book got it Learn. well right on cool, Let, let's get into a little bit about yeah. your background tell yeah, us who about are you? you and and we already said you know a uh, national speaker you're going around the country sharing your story former uh, bmx racer yeah so i raced okay. bmx professionally for a few years, uh, started when I was 25 racing professionally, but I was okay. actually racing BMX from the age of 12 to 18, was on the cover of a magazine my senior year in high school. Got it. Uh, oh. Had corporate sponsorships with Fox Racing, Airwalk Shoes, Spy Sunglasses. Grew up in California? Grew up in California, right yeah. in the middle. Um, I always tell kids or people that, you know, I'm a small town uh, white kid from Fresno, California. Yeah. Uh, uh. People don't go to Fresno. You pass through Fresno to get yeah. to either L.A. or San Francisco. Yeah. Uh, that's where I'm from. And I found a passion in BMX racing when I was 12 years old. Basketball was actually my first dream. Hey. The short white kid wanted to go to the NBA. Same, <laughs> same. Yeah. And uh, I wanted to go to the University of Michigan. So it was kind of, you know, surreal to watch okay. Michigan in the finals again this yeah. year for the first time since I was in like third grade. I think. Forever. Fourth yeah. grade. Yeah. I'm nice. 34 now. So it was a while ago. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I just, Found BMX, and that was just my deal. My dad raced motocross professionally when he was younger, so I think mm -hmm. racing is just kind of in the family blood. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But by the time I was graduating high school, I had kind of went off the deep end and started mm -hmm. using drugs. Yeah. Um, just started smoking weed and drinking and stuff. And so, you know, we'll talk a little bit more about my hiatus. But uh, when I got out of prison at 25, that was when I got back into racing BMX professionally. Um, I actually blew my knee out in 2011 mm -hmm. and that shifted me into coaching and Got so it. uh the coaching is what took me to the olympics okay so i have uh an athlete brooke crane who was a women's uh bmx professional yeah she took fourth place in the finals so yeah. i was in wow. rio um but along the t uh, journey of me going through prison and stuff which we can dive into yeah um I just felt a strong calling to tell my story yeah, um, and use my story as a backbone to do those, you know, inspire and change lives. So yeah, when, when did you notice, like, it sounds like, you know, you got into smoking weed and drinking young. Like, when did you notice it becoming problematic for you? Or like, were there early signs that you could tell that this was going to be something that could lead down to an addiction? The early signs were my mental health issues when I was in middle school. I had a lot of anxiety issues. I still mm -hmm. do. Uh, I work with a therapist weekly um, mm -hmm. on those anxiety issues, my depression issues. Yeah. Um, I had social anxiety issues. You know, I'm not really good in big crowds. Like, mm -hmm. I can speak to thousands of people, but the stage is like I'm performing. Right. Yeah. You know, it's different. It's totally different. Yeah. I, you know, I look at, I get it. I, I look at like the death of Avicii and I like, I totally get mm -hmm. it, right? Yeah. Like, 28 years old 
could move millions of people probably in one show if mm-hmm. you could hold that many people. But as soon as he stepped off stage, something's not not right. Yeah. Well, I had that when I was a young kid, and I, I never dealt with it. I didn't mm-hmm. have the courage to speak up. We also, how old are you guys? I'm 28. Okay. I'll be 30. Okay, so we also grew up in a time when yeah. it really wasn't okay to speak up. Right. If you spoke up and said, I don't like myself, I have anxiety or I'm depressed, well, you're crazy, right? You were yeah. weird. You were yeah. weird, right? Yeah, yeah. Something was wrong with you. Yeah. Um, I grew up in an upper middle class family, uh, went to good schools. Yeah. And so that stigma is even more mm-hmm. when you're in kind of the nicer area because you have to have this stature that you uphold. This facade. Yeah. Right, this, this facade. Look, Everything look is great or you're crazy or you're weird. Right. And so those, those issues haunted me through my teenage years because I never liked who I was, never really felt like I had friends. And so by the time I was 18 years old, I I mean, at that time, I never even said I was going to use drugs. It was just something I never wanted to do. But when the opportunity came where it was like, man, I'm the only person not doing this. Mm -hmm. I just got to try it. Mm. Just try it, see what it's like. (laughs) And of course, like I liked smoking weed. It was like, man, this this is cool. Yeah. And then what we do as people is like, I don't know. It's like the Adam and Eve effect. You know, God said that you would die if you ate from the apple, Adam and Eve. And they're like, okay, well, we don't want to do that. Well, the snake comes in and is like, dude, you're not going to die. Yeah. Like, just eat it. Well, they eat it and they're like, oh, look, we didn't die. Uh Well, when I smoked it, I was like, oh, look, it's not that bad. Right. You know, but my vision couldn't go past that that singular moment. Yeah. It was binary. Like, you either die or you're alive. Yeah. And I was alive. And so was everybody else. Right. I didn't see that I was actually walking through a doorway. Mm. And on the other side of that doorway was a lot of traps that I wasn't going to be able to get away from because I didn't have the choice of whether I was going to be an addict or not. Right. When you're a young kid, that's what you think. When you listen to people like myself and you're not an addict or you haven't tried drugs, you say, well, there's something different about him than Mm -hmm. me. Mm -hmm. I'm not like them. They lack willpower. Right. They don't have goals. They came from the wrong family. They're the wrong skin color. They don't have as much money. Yeah. We come up with all of these reasons that justify It's why. something else. Right. Yeah. Right. But the problem is when you walk through the door, you don't get to choose. Mm. The only choice you get is when you walk through. Mm-hmm. So I walked through and I didn't realize that that was the only choice I was going to get. After yeah. that, I was an addict. So yeah. the signs right away. Yeah. Because I said once a month, next weekend rolled by. Smoking. And yeah. I said, once a weekend. <laughs> yeah. Next, I might even get through the next week. Wednesday yeah. rolls by, smoking weed. Next thing you know, I'm smoking every single day. Yeah. Then I'm taking on other things. I start drinking, start yeah. smoking yeah. cigarettes. Yeah. And it was just this progression. But the denial is instant once you walk through the door. Yeah. Well, and it's easy to fool yourself when you're under the influence of a mood and mind-altering chemical. Right. That literally changes the way you think and feel. Right. And you're watching everybody else and nothing's yeah. happening. You're, nobody's mm-hmm. dying. Yeah. yeah. You're not going to die. It's not yeah. that bad. We'll just yeah. stop. When, you know, we're 24, yeah. 25. We'll get, you know, and we'll have families yeah. and everything will disappear and we'll be fine. So what what happened with you? Like what I mean, we're we're coming from this place of I'm going through the door, I didn't die. Mm-hmm. But like, what had you come to a point where you're like, shit, I need to stop. Like, something is going on here. It was bad. It was, um, I started when I was 18. Got introduced to Oxycontin mm. right before I was 19. Mm. And that that was my drug. And it was- Good old white suburbia. Right. Mm-hmm. And it was my drug because 
it it took me to a state of euphoria where I didn't feel anxiety. I didn't feel depression. I didn't feel suicidal thoughts. Mm -hmm. And so I chased after that euphoria because I didn't have to deal with the things that had been haunting my life Mm -hmm. up until that point. And so, you know, this was before I knew that, you know, the stuff that came out of the orange bottle was the same stuff that comes from the cartels, just packaged Mm -hmm. different. Yeah. You know, and by the time... I was willing to admit that I had a problem. I was um, 20, 25 years old, homeless. Yeah. Literally, like homeless, guys. Yeah. No no friends, um, shooting gutter water with my, you know, putting gutter water uh, in my dope. Mm-hmm. Um, family gave up on me, hadn't talked to him in years, and smoking meth heavily, staying up for, you know, a week, right. two at a time. So just completely blown out mentally. Stuff that mm-hmm. I still, you know, have side effects from, you right. know, the psychosis stuff. And um, yeah. that was, you know, when you're at the bottom like that. Yeah. And it was even hard at that point, you yeah. know, because I had a best friend and his dad kicked me out of the house. And that was my last string, mm-hmm. you know, for me to be sleeping on the street. And I still in my mind was like, I'll stop. I can do this. I'll pull it together, right. you know, but that was like the, that was the only bit of, you know, will I had left. Mm-hmm. The, the drugs had robbed every other bit because the, the voice that you're going to die soon was a lot louder than mm-hmm. there's, the, my life is going to be what it is today. Right. right. That was not, yeah. that was not a vision. That was never the plan. That was never something I saw hope for. Um, but it was in those homeless moments. Yeah. So, so, <sighs> dude, heavy, you know? Yeah. <clears throat> what, did something external happen to you? I mean, it sounds like you ended up getting arrested or, or going, I mean, is that what finally separated you from these chemicals? So, 18, I started using drugs. By the right. time I was 21, I committed a home invasion armed robbery. Mm-hmm. Uh, went in with my co-defendant into one of our friend's mom's house, uh, mm-hmm. robbed her at gunpoint for her Oxycontins. Mm-hmm. Was arrested for that about six months later. Uh, my parents spent a bunch of money on an attorney mm-hmm. and kept me out of prison. Then I get back on drugs. Two years, two and a half years, fast forward, I'm homeless at 23 years old. Uh, but I had a friend call me in 2005 mm-hmm. at 22 years old. And he said that God gave him a vision and I was in this vision. And if I didn't stop doing what I was doing after these three significant chances that God was going to give me took place... I was going to go to prison. Fast forward to 2006. I'm homeless. It's November. Yeah. I get pulled over three times in four days. Every time I got pulled out of the car, because I was on felony probation for armed robbery, and I wasn't hanging out in good neighborhoods. Yeah. So the first yeah. thing they ask you when they pull you over is anybody on parole or Pro- probation. Yeah. It's like getting pulled over in downtown San Diego. Yeah. Yeah. I literally got pulled over here two years ago, clean as a whistle, during the day, picking up my girlfriend that or the girlfriend at the time from yeah. the airport, and they said, "Are you on parole or probation?" And I was like, "No, I'm not." And they spent thirty minutes going through a binder. Oh wow! Of people, you know, yeah. mm-hmm. just looking. So these are the kind of areas that I'm getting pulled yeah. over in, right? Well, yeah. they pull me out of the car. I'm I stashed a needle between my butt cheeks the first time. Second time, I had sixty four oxycontins. Mm-hmm. It was Thanksgiving night at ten thirty. I lied about being on parole or probation, so he pulled me out of the car. And he's like, why did you lie to me? I want to take you to jail right now. I've got to call your probation officer and get clearance. Puts me in the back of the car. Well, she don't answer, but it's 1030 on Thanksgiving. Like she's probably familyed out. Yeah. I'm not doing anything tonight. So he says, it's your lucky day, Mr. Hoffman. 
wow. lets me go. I got 64 Oxycontins stashed between my ass. Like it was, you know, yeah. get back in the car. I was like, oh my God. Yeah. Well, not the next day, but the following day, I'm with my girlfriend at the time. I get pulled over in a car that we borrowed with fake tags, construction paper, literally nice. fake, right? Yeah. Uh, car had not been registered in five years. We <sighs> had no insurance. Driver didn't have a license on her. Nice. I had drugs in my pocket, backpack full of needles. She had yeah. drugs on her. Cop doesn't ask if anybody's on parole or probation. Oh, wow. Gives us a fix-it ticket. <sighs> Tells us to drive the car home. Wow. Not like, hey, that, get that, out of the car. That, like, like, for those listening, that shit does not happen. No, yeah, no, yeah, no. Never. And I'm on felony yeah. probation for that armed robbery. Like, yeah. That's all she would have had to do yeah. is just run our names. Yeah. And she would have been like, okay, super sketchy. Something's yeah. going on with like, this car. Winner. It's stolen. Like, right. This we is gotta, a winner. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We're, we're going to get all kinds of stuff. Nope. And uh, I knew it as soon as she got in the car. I was like, that was the three chances that Adam was talking about. Oh, two months later, January 21st, 2007, I was invited to a church. Don't remember anything about the service, but I know I went up to an altar call. Pastor lays his hands on me and says that God has favored you your entire life and everything that you had done. And you don't have to worry anymore. He's going to remove you from your addiction. Mm. And I was just bawling and bawling and Mm. bawling. I didn't believe in God. Mm -hmm. I was against him tried to come up with every excuse of why mm. he didn't exist. But in that moment, it was like my entire life flashed before me. And I saw how disobedient I was working against mm. right. the laws of the universe. And that night I broke into a house that was up for rent, January 21st, 2007. Woke up at 2 p.m. the next day with four cops, guns in my face. And I went to prison oh, shit. for two years. And I went on a spiritual journey for two years to... Damn realize what it was that I was created for and how I was supposed to use what I went through to change, change the lives of people that I encounter. Mm. Wow. Wow. That is crazy, man. Man, that, that, that story touches my heart. (laughs) (laughs) Very, very similar stories. Yeah. Very similar. And, uh, it's, it's amazing that you're here today. It is. I'm not supposed to be alive. Yeah. I mean, Uh. you guys are only getting like, you know, a lot of the, we're getting the right. Reader's Digest version. Yeah, you're version. getting the Reader's Digest <laughs> version. You know, I mean, even in my public speaking, when I have an hour, it's like... Yeah. I, it's not enough time. It's not enough time. Yeah. And I can't... I feel... A lot of times, you know, they want to feel what you went through, but, you know, the the motel nights by myself, mm. you know, which is... It's, it's hard to articulate that. Yeah. You know, and get people to feel that. Yeah. You know, especially people that don't have that experience. Right. You know? Right. Because there's you're still behind the mechanism of addiction, right? Mm-hmm. And so those nights, it's like, you don't want to be there. Yeah. You know? There's every, your, your soul is crying for freedom. Your soul yeah. is crying for something new. Your soul is crying for happiness. But in front of that is this demon mm. that has just taken over your life and just basically controls every movement, every thought, everything, mm-hmm. and you just can't get rid of it. Yeah. I, I tell people often that my time in prison, you know, I spent a substantial time in prison as well. Uh, my time in prison was far better than the months preceding my time in prison. Absolutely. You know, you're talking about those lonely motel nights. Yeah, absolutely. You know, the nights cold in a bush, Mm. right? You can't, you can't get enough money for a motel. And so you're, you're in a bush somewhere trying to find or a water heater closet. Yeah. And you're just trying to, trying to stay warm. Yeah. And you got nothing and no one. Right. 
True, true, true despair. And hopelessness, you know? Yeah. Sad. That, that for me, was, was hell. Yeah. Right. No, it really was. I it think is. it was a preview of yeah. so, know, what was to, to be, a, you know, kind of an internal destiny if, if we didn't uh, yeah. make that switch, you know? And not everyone has that experience, but I think it's really important that, like, anyone can. Right, yeah. right. Right. But I think that everybody's bottom's different. Right. You know? People and it, have and the same be... emotional feeling without sleeping in a bush. Exactly. I feel like they're, they're better than me. Mm. They mm. aren't as stubborn. Their pride right. doesn't take them to a bush. Like, yeah. They can like lose a job and be like, what am I doing? This right. is terrible. Like yeah. my life is turning upside down. I'm like, right. yeah, F a job. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't need a job. Yeah. And it takes what it takes for different people. And, right. um, you know, no outsider can really appraise such that such an intimate situation. Like everybody's going through something, you know, we, we know nothing about. Yeah. So you, you, you go to mm. prison. Boom. And you're on this spiritual journey. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. what what ignites in you? What fires up? I mean, you're you're speaking nationally now. You're 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 speaking at USD tonight, Oakland tomorrow. You're on the East Coast last week. Yeah. I mean, how how do you go from prison to that? Willingness. <laughs> okay. Um, a lot of courage, courage and willingness. Um, in the beginning, you know, I, cause I have obviously, you know, a lot of shame and a lot of guilt and those two are, I think are the mm. biggest mm-hmm. pundits of yeah. uh, stagnation mm-hmm. and degradation. So either you're going to stay where you're at if you have shame and guilt or you're going to get worse. Yeah. Um, and the next level above those is fear mm-hmm. and fear is kind of when you just can't move. It's like paralysis deer mm-hmm. in the headlights. Mm-hmm. Um, courage was the next thing that I had to try and find, you know, was the courage to just do the work and that I could do it and the willingness to do whatever it took. So mm-hmm. while I was in prison, I spent a lot of time reading the Bible and, mm-hmm. you know, trying to understand the spirituality of the Bible, not so much the literal mm-hmm. religious components yeah. of the Bible. Yeah. Um, and so the more I was willing and the more I acted just on courage or bravery, um, the more I found a, a level of peace uh, within myself, because I think I was learning so much about myself on a self-awareness, spiritual level, mm-hmm. you know, the qualities that I had, my empathy, my compassion, mm. um, my willingness to forgive, um, those kinds of things were very profound for me to understand about myself so I could actually visualize what it was that God could use those gifts for. Because I think that everybody has certain components about yeah. them. I don't know what yeah. they are. We all have our Achilles heel, but we also have those gifts. Yeah. And when we can actually separate ourselves from the world and focus on ourselves in a spiritual spiritual component, mm-hmm. then we know what direction we should at least set foot on. Well, yeah, and that, and that's where I was going to go next is, you know, you like so many people talk about like, well, what's my pers- my purpose or like what am I here for? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, it's interesting to hear stories of people who kind of figure it out and end up putting it together. And it sounds like, you know, tapping into courage, tapping into willingness. Mm-hmm. And then what had you kind of start putting pieces together? Was it something you knew going into it or did you it kind of develop along the way? Scanning my gifts. Yeah. So I was an athlete, always been an athlete. It didn't matter what the sport was. I was extremely good at it. Mm-hmm. So I looked at, I'm 20, 23 years old. I'm going to get out of 25. What the hell am I going to do when I get out? I don't want to go to school because I hate school. I can't focus on school. Yeah. I'm not interested in things that don't interest me yeah. to get to things that do interest me. So the process of school never made sense. Right. 
it was like, I'm an athlete. So I'm going to get back on my bike because I never took it serious. Mm. I did it on raw talent. And I believe that I'm still young enough and God is telling me to get on my bike and use my bike, not for myself, but for other people. And I think that that's an important component is mm. when we visualize our gifts, we visualize fancy cars, we right. you know, visualize supreme clothes, we mm-hmm. you know, visualize whatever it is that's kind of external stuff. That's never been the goal for me. Mm-hmm. I love supreme. I love cool cars. But it's never was a vision when I was in prison. It was to help people. Mm-hmm. So I just started. That gave me purpose. And that gave me meaning for my days. And mm-hmm. so then I created a plan on how I was going to be ready when I got out in two years to actually even just get back on my bicycle. Mm-hmm. And so I went through a micro process of learning to brush my teeth, make my bed, organize my stuff, mm-hmm. work hard every single day in prison, no matter what. It didn't matter if somebody was looking or not. I had to be 100% physically fit, spiritually fit, and I had to change who I was. So I learned that brushing my teeth was a mini success. Mm-hmm. And I just focused on the bike. When I got out, obviously it turned into more than just the bike. I mean, I had four goals. Get on my bike, become a professional, go to the Olympics, start a nonprofit organization for kids called the Free Will Project, and become a public speaker. Mm. But the bike was number one. Bike was number one. I went and I did it. And along the way, God has his way of course correcting <laughs> us yeah. and making yeah, sure does. that you get exactly where you're supposed to be. But the whole time you're exactly where you're supposed yeah. to be. He just puts you on that carved path. It's it's his journey. Yeah. Right? No, right. Yeah. We're, we're just on it. Yeah. We walk by faith. Yeah. Yeah. I heard a cool analogy the other day. It's kind of like the GPS system. Like, even if you kind of go off track, like the GPS recalculates. Absolutely. And that's kind of how, like, you know, God in your life could end up yeah, being. Like, no you doubt. still can end up at the goal. Yeah. But maybe you just take another path. But it's, oh, no I, I think that that's, that's, that's how we grow. That's how we move forward is um, course correction. Yeah. Got it. That course correction uh, is often pain, and pain with perseverance and persistence uh, leads to growth. Boom. <laughs> so, Tony, yeah. we're, we're getting close to the, to the end of the show. What, what kind of advice would you give to someone struggling, hopeless, helpless, lost, maybe suicidal, doesn't know a way out? Like, how would you... Or a loved one. Or a loved one. Like, what would you say to them? Stop listening to yourself. Mm. Listen to somebody else. I don't care if it's for a year or two years. Stop listening to yourself because you don't know what you're doing. You don't know what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. And you're fooling yourself. Mm. Give your life to somebody else and just become willing to do whatever they tell you to do until it changes. Because yeah. it will change. Yeah. I guarantee it. Yeah. I guarantee it. It's... I, I'd, I'd bet my life savings on it. <laughs> Damn. Inevitable. Word. Tony, where, wow. where, where can people find you? I'm on Instagram at Tony M Hoffman on Facebook, Tony Hoffman speaking, my public page there. Um, I also have my speaking website, Tony Hoffman speaking.com. Um, Instagram is typically the easiest way to get a hold of me. Yeah. But, uh, I make myself accessible on there. I answer all my DMS, um, and try and provide help to people and, cool. you know, small bits of advice when I can. Sometimes yeah. it gets crazy when, when I'm on a big sp- right. youth speaking tour because they'll yeah. flood my inbox. But yeah, um, yeah, those are the... Where? The hit them up, guys. Yeah, hit me up. Awesome. Yeah, Instagram. Check out his website. Again, thanks for being on today. Absolutely. This has been a very good episode of The Sober Life Audio, Audio Experience. Experience. Peace. Boom. 
Specialty Produce app is the world's number one handheld resource on produce. The app features photographs, recipes, geography and history, taste and culinary applications on over 1,900 produce items. From apples to zapote, we've got your produce questions answered. Our app is available for both iPhone and Android. Download our app for free today.